Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Robles, and today's episode is brought to you by ExpressVPN, ZocDoc, and Upstart. You'll hear about those in a minute. Joining me this week, my iPad Pro friend, Wes Hilliard. What's going on, Wes? Hello, Stephen. Just, you know, not losing my keys. Right. You don't have to lose anything anymore. Never again. Yep. Just attach <laughs> air tags to everything. At least 16 of them anyway. All right, well, before we get to the air tags, and I want to talk about podcasts a little bit, namely Apple Podcasts app and that debacle. The big news this week is the Epic Games versus Apple trial. And while, you know, there's a lots of interesting tidbits of information on it, it is very legal based. And so I'm going to save that for the end. But if you're curious about the Epic Games versus Apple, got a whole chapter on that later. But we're going to run through a leak and some news, thoughts on air tags, podcasts, iPad pre-orders, and all that stuff first. First of all, Unbox Therapy, which is a YouTube channel, claims that they have an iPhone 13 Pro Max, I guess like dummy model or something like that, made a video of it. It's interesting. It shows a smaller notch, something that we've been hearing about for a while, that the iPhone 13 is going to have a narrower notch, same height, if you want to call it, but narrower width. Also on the back, the camera system, which just looks crazy. I mean, I don't even know how else to describe it, but the camera lenses look massive compared to the current iPhone 12 Pro and Pro Max models. So it's curious about the model. Again, feeds into the rumors that we've been hearing about that smaller notch. Did you get a chance to watch that video? Yeah, I, I watched it. And uh, Unbox Therapy, uh, I've not been a fan for a while. I believe he's the guy who broke the uh, iPhone bend thing. And he, he really yeah, you know, yeah. worked that up a lot over a couple of years there. And it just kind of drove me insane. So I just chose to ignore him for a while. But yeah, he, he makes pretty good videos. Yeah, This dummy model, it, I mean, he even says it himself. It's something he got from China. It's hard to say exactly the origins, but uh, apparently it's it's supposed to be accurate. And we've seen dummy models be accurate before. I mean, we got the iPhone 12 dummy models here at Apple Insider last year, and they were pretty accurate. So yeah, there's some definite uh, strange design choices here with this one. I'm not entirely sure if this is representative of the final product. Right, for sure. It is the same squared edge design. You know, if you look at it from the sides, any of the edges, it resembles the iPhone 12 models with that flat edges. It's really just the, the camera system that looks very different, just very much larger lenses. And then, of course, the, the smaller notch. Again, I don't know how much you're going to get out of a smaller notch as far as screen real estate, but hopefully it's one step closer to the notch being gone forever one day. I, I've I've never really cared for these smaller notch rumors because again, like it's not really obscuring any relevant content anyway, and having it smaller doesn't change the status bar or anything anyways. I, I don't think it's going to affect how people use their iPhone whatsoever. Just the design of it is is a little strange. I I think uh, having the earpiece move up higher like that and. Again, the dummy model had it like embossed in, in stainless steel. So it just stood out a little bit more to me. I feel like it was uh, it drew my eye more. I don't know. Yeah. This one, it doesn't seem quite right. But I mean, I'll welcome a smaller notch. Sure. More screen, fine. It just, I don't think it's going to do anything. Yeah, the earpiece does look a little funny. Like not something Apple would do. We'll see. It's an interesting video. We'll put the link in show notes if you want to check it out in our article covering the piece. I wanted to mention a couple things just because, uh, again, like rumors, there's been some disagreements amongst the leakers on exactly what the iPhone 13 is going to look like. John Prosser and Fudge disagree on how many camera modules there's going to be. Right. They, Fudge says it's going to be four modules versus Prosser saying it's just going to keep three. These three larger modules, are, they look huge. Yes. I, I mean, I could see Apple doing that just because more lenses, more light, but also the design on this dummy model is different from what we've heard because rumors have indicated that we're going to see a flat camera module where the rather than having separate raised lens pieces, it's going to be one solid sheet of glass across all three lenses. So just, just to note the differences between the rumors and this model. All right, well, let's talk about pre-orders. The pre-orders happened a week ago. If you're listening to this as the episode releases, Hopefully you can listen to it because of the Apple Podcasts app, which I will get to that lament in a moment. But pre-orders went up for the Apple TV 4K, the new model, the new M1 iPad Pro, and the M1 iMac. Last Friday, that was April 30th. It was a little different this time. Usually on pre-order mornings, the Apple Store goes down, where if you try to go to the website or the Apple Store app on your iPhone, it just shows this black screen with a you know, little rainbow Apple logo outline, and it says be back soon, or you're a little early. And you know, as soon as you refresh or reopen the app and that screen is gone, 
that the items are available for pre-order. But this time, Apple didn't do that. The store was just active the entire morning. Pre-orders went up 5 a.m. Pacific, 8 a.m. Eastern time. And so if you were in the store at 7.59, the store was open, it worked, you could buy stuff. And then once it hit 8 o'clock, nothing changed visually. And you still needed to refresh. And sometimes it would say, okay, buy now. You can configure your iPad or your Apple TV or your iMac, but it wouldn't let you add to cart. Sometimes it would tell you there was an error. Sometimes it would say this item is not available, but it had a buy with Apple Pay button on it on the screen. So whatever new method they were trying with this pre-order cycle, I wasn't crazy about it. It seemed to not work as reliably. I prefer when the store just goes completely down and then comes back up. So before we get into our actual pre-orders, did you have that same experience as you were pre-ordering that morning? Fun story. I didn't actually order it myself, but that's a different thing. Right. But no, the, the, the store kept running into bugs. It's, it's definitely something they're gonna have to fix later. I'm with you though. I prefer the app, the whole Apple store going down and then it coming up because I don't think I've ever run into an issue with ordering. Once the store comes back, just click through buy and done. Um, this time it just seemed like, uh, you could easily lose your cart, have to start over and then lose your place in line, which happened to me. Well, and so that's my thing is I was originally going to go for the cellular model of the new iPad Pro and I kept refreshing, kept trying to add to bag. I wasn't going to add any accessories. I also plan on getting an Apple TV, but I wasn't going to try and do that. I just wanted to make sure the iPad order got in. And so I think I was able to do it around like 8.03, but it looked like the cellular models were delivering late no matter what time you did it. So I, I did that order and then I went right back and configured another 12.9 inch iPad Pro without cellular. So I did the one terabyte because that comes with the 16 gigs of RAM. I did space gray, 12.9 inch, no cellular, added Apple Care, and boom, that order went through and it got the May 21 through May 27 ship date. And while I had thought about gifting one of those iPad Pros to William, I thought, well, maybe not this time. Sorry, William. And so I canceled the first order, which maybe I should have just let it run just in case, but I canceled that first one and I let the non-cellular Wi-Fi only model go through and that order is is in progress. So that's good. I was going to say, I, yeah, I wasn't uh, extremely concerned over losing a week. I, I really like the cellular data in the iPad. It comes in handy, especially when traveling. Uh, hotel Wi-Fi is always awful, but usually, especially in their little cafes, you can pick up at least an LTE signal and it's it's very useful for work. So yeah, we'll see when it actually ships, but hopefully mine will come on that launch day, May 21st. Wes, you're just coming in June 2nd. Now for the Magic Keyboard and Apple TV, uh, it seemed like there was no line really to pre-order the Apple TV 4K. I ordered that. I did get the 64 gig version because this is going to be the one that lives in the living room and my kids do Apple Arcade games there. And so wanted to have that larger space. So I don't have to worry about managing storage on an Apple TV. So I got that version. That one seems to be coming May 21st as well. No issue there. And then came the Magic Keyboard. And I know there was some discussion online, white or black, what should I go with? And I don't know if I should say against my better judgment or because I just wanted to try it. I went with the white one. And a listener actually sent in pictures of his new Magic Keyboard case, which we'll talk about in a second. But if you had gotten a white version of the new Magic Keyboard, it, that seems to be coming May 21st. If you ordered the gray one or the dark colored one, that one shipped right away. And it is the newer model that's a slightly different size that was, we'll talk about in a second. So I will report feverishly about the dirt gathering and staining on my white Magic Keyboard. But I did get the white one. I'll be checking it out. But Wes, how did those other pre-orders go for you? So I also got the Apple TV 4K. I got the 64 gig model because 20 bucks, why not? Also, I use Apple Arcade a lot. And yeah. those screensavers take up pretty much all of the memory in a 32 gig Apple TV. So might as well just get double the storage. Right. Honestly, if there was a 128 gig model, I would have got that. Yeah, for sure. That'll come on the 21st. That that went through fine. It doesn't seem like there's a too high of a demand for that Apple TV. Then the Magic Keyboard, I ordered the gray one, got that in yesterday. It is almost identical to the other one. I can't really notice any difference. Looking at it, everything looks very much the same. The iPad shuts just fine into it. There's no way to test anything until I get the newer, thicker iPad. I will note that ever so slight difference in the angle, and this might just be my eyes playing tricks. It might be the newness of the keyboard. I don't know, but it seems like you can go maybe a degree and a half, two degrees further back with this keyboard. And that might also have to do 
with the thickness or weight distribution of the new model. So listener Jonah actually sent some pictures. He also got the the gray Magic Keyboard case, and he took pictures with his current 12.9-inch iPad Pro, like you have, Wes, with the new Magic Keyboard case. And he said putting in like a dime in kind of in between the Magic Keyboard case and the iPad when it's closed makes it seem like that's the thickness difference or that kind of make, made it seem to fit a little better. We won't know till we get the new iPad Pro in if the old keyboard case, you know, how much it doesn't fit. I don't know. It doesn't look like a huge difference. I was going to say, it's, it's a strange device anyway, because the Magic Keyboard has a magnetic thing in the keyboard half where when it's resting on the, the screen of the iPad, it does sit flush with the screen. It kind of snaps into place, but not exactly, because when you pick up the iPad, you, you hold it with both hands, holding it closed, basically. But if you kind of hold the iPad by the sides and move around a little bit, the iPad keyboard will come loose uh, in certain circumstances. So it's it's not a very strong grip on the iPad anyway, and I'm not ex- exactly sure what Apple is referring to when they say it, it won't have a perfect fit just because, yeah. again, like even the regular keyboard doesn't have a perfect fit. It's not going to stay closed by itself against gravity because the magnetic thing isn't strong enough. So I, I'm just not I, I'm interested in seeing exactly what Apple is seeing that they might think is a big enough deal that might be the next gate you know keyboard gate or whatever that they had to come out with a new model and advertise it as compatible with the fifth generation ipad so we'll see yep so we'll have to see may 21st actually probably whenever the reviewers get their embargoes lifted i've been expecting like mkbhd and i justine to have their ipad reviews out i'm curious when those embargoes will lift it doesn't look like it's this week so maybe Next week, maybe it's the week of the actual launch. Typically, Apple times it close to there. Embargoes usually lift lift the week of, like the Tuesday before um, release. Even that Wednesday or Thursday, it might lift. Because again, we can order them right now. So Apple doesn't have much reason to hold the embargoes to a day before or something. I guess they would appear technically in stores that Thursday. So yeah, a, a Tuesday or Wednesday embargo lifting would make sense the week of the 21st. Yeah. Well, listeners, let us know what you pre-ordered. Break me over the coals for the white magic keyboard if you must, but I don't know. I'm kind of excited to see what it looks like. I'm not excited to see how dirty it gets how quickly, but we'll see. I mean, if you've seen my desk, I'm not a fan of white accessories, but it's fine. I I, I don't expect it to get super dirty. It, at least it's not that, um, what is it, Alcantara cloth or whatever that yeah, Microsoft yeah, uses. Yeah. yeah, it's not that. It's not going to get, tur- it's not going to turn into Cheeto cheese overnight, but I expect the keys will wear to you know a darker color over time like the regular magic keyboard it's the rest of the material i'm curious about because the keys are plastic but the rest of it's rubber and uh, white rubber tends to stain yellow very quickly so we'll see this episode is brought to you by zocdoc now has this ever happened to you you need to see a doctor you search for one which is not an easy process you find one that looks good you book an appointment you rearrange your schedule maybe you get off work and you finally go in but you find out once you're there in person, that the doctor doesn't take your insurance. It is one of the most frustrating experiences, but there is a great solution and you never have to deal with that again. You download the free ZocDoc app, Z-O-C-D-O-C, and it's the easiest way to find a great doctor and instantly book an appointment. Go to ZocDoc.com slash Apple Insider to learn more about it. But listen, let me tell you, listeners, honestly, new services like this were out there, but I had not tried one until ZocDoc and their website and app makes it incredibly easy to put in your insurance information. You put in your insurance company and your specific plan, and it will show you doctors that take your specific insurance plan locally in your area. You can even filter down to primary care, dentist, dermatologist, psychiatrist, eye doctor, and other specialists. And then you can even see ratings for each of these doctors and book an appointment. Listen to me, you never have to call a doctor again. You just book an appointment right there in the app. You can also read verified patient reviews before you book an appointment. And they have in-person and video chat options that you can view as you're scrolling those doctors. Go to ZocDoc.com slash Apple Insider, and you can download the ZocDoc app to sign up for free. Every month, millions of people use ZocDoc, and now I'm one of them. I didn't know about these kind of services before, but now it's my go-to whenever I need to see a doctor. I look in the ZocDoc app, book it right there, don't have to call an office at all. ZocDoc makes healthcare easy. Now is the time to prioritize your health. Go to ZocDoc.com slash Apple Insider 
and download the ZocDoc app to sign up for free and book a top-rated doctor. Many are available as soon as today. That blew my mind too. You can see appointments available for today. That's ZocDoc.com slash Apple Insider. Our thanks to ZocDoc for sponsoring this episode. All right. Well, one of the other things we got as we were recording the last episode is AirTags delivered. I got a number of them. I have five AirTags right now total. I have one engraved. I did get one engraved with my initials and a star emoji. And then I got a pack of four as well. I said on Twitter, this is the first time I've ever gotten an Apple product engraved, typically because I may sell them in the future or I just don't know what to put. So I've not got one engraved. This is, I don't know what you call it, an etching. It's not really an engraving because it's not in like the metal or aluminum. It's a nice etching. I like it. I got some accessories. I got the leather keychain from Apple, one for me, one for my wife. I also got the Belkin keychain. It's more plasticky, but less expensive than Apple's option. And it definitely works just as well as a keychain. And I got a couple loops, the kind that you would put around a bag handle or a piece of luggage. And I have to say, I'm not as crazy about those loops. For an Apple product, it doesn't feel great, like the material that it's using. I'm not sure what that is. But before we get into actual AirTag functionality, how many did you get? Did you get any engraved? And what accessories did you get with it? So I ordered a four-pack um, on release on pre-order day, and uh, those came four or five days later. So I guess I got into the second run of engravings. I got I didn't get initials or anything. I got like the uh, emojis. So I got an alien, a skull, a robot, and the uh, video game alien uh, from I, I forget Space Invaders. <laughs> yeah, I, I like Funny. it. It's just yeah. I don't know why, but it's the Space Invaders alien. That's great. I got the four pack, and then I got one Apple keychain, uh, the leather keychain. And I ordered uh, days before pre-orders went live. Amazon just had a, a bundle of these things. So I ordered uh, the Spygen keychain as well. So I had two keychains uh, to play with. Oh, I got impatient and uh, decided, you know what? I bet Target has an AirTag. And I, <laughs> I went to Target and, and uh, they didn't have one, but Best Buy did. Got me an AirTag blank to play with for the weekend. And that is now my dad's. And okay. guess what? He is 67 years old and loses things every day. And uh-huh. he lost his tags three times since he's had an AirTag attached to it. And it has helped greatly in finding them in the laundry bin and the yard. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, it's, it's great. It's great. <laughs> That's cool. Now, let me let me ask you. So as far as functionality-wise... You know, it's a nice setup process. Each individual AirTag is wrapped in like the plastic where even it goes inside the AirTag, separating the battery from the contact. So when you pull the plastic tab out of the AirTag, the battery makes connection. It makes a little sound, very pleasant, and you'll see it pop up on your iPhone to set it up. And it sets up kind of like AirPods do. You just got the card that slides up and all that. So very nice setup process. You can name it. When it got to the information attached to the AirTag, as far as I could tell, it pulls your name and the phone number on file, I think with your Apple ID, but I don't believe you can actually change that phone number or name during the setup process. Is that accurate? Yeah, uh, it doesn't really give you any options. Uh, all the editing stuff comes after you've actually set up the AirTag. Gotcha. And then you can choose one of the pre-listed designations, whether it's keychain or backpack and you're off to the races. You can put it in your case or your backpack or whatever. I got one on my key ring, got one in my backpack. I got a third one in another bag and I use the two others, my wife's keychain, and then a garage key that we set up. I use the Belkin keychain on that. As far as making the sound, that's a really helpful feature. You know, that's something where if you have an Apple Watch and an iPhone, especially if you're a parent, you probably understand like losing your phone in the house or if a kid uses it, you're not sure where it is. Being able to ping your phone from an Apple Watch is really useful. Also, being able to ping an AirTag and have it make a sound, even though it's not very loud, is a really helpful feature just to give you that auditory response of where is this thing in the room so I can find it. So that's a really cool feature. I have found the precision location tracking, which is what Apple really showed off with the U1 chip, where you can go into the item, choose precision tracking, and then you'll have an arrow point you in the direction of the AirTag. And I've tried to demo this for people to kind of really show them the power of the U1 and being able to find the precise location. And it did work, but there were a couple times that even though the tag was only a few feet away, and maybe that was the issue, it was too close, which doesn't make too much sense, but it didn't find it right away. Like the arrow didn't point in the direction. It kind of just gave me this circle animation for a while. And I had to move farther away from the air tag for the arrow to pop up and point me in the direction of the air tag. What's been your experience trying to demo that precise location feature? 
Well, I'll go ahead and start with a disclaimer. I'm on iOS 14.6, so I have no idea if anything's different from the vanilla version of iOS. But in in the beta, it it works great. I've not had any issues, again, like finding my dad's keys, because I have it attached to my iPhone. He actually doesn't even have a phone. Finding his keys was uh, pretty straightforward. it's, It's not as specific as you would expect i mean apple it's a tracking system but i mean we're not talking about satellite gps here it it's using you know bluetooth signals from far away than the the ultra wide band once you're closer and then find my will get you within 30 yards of the thing depending on the signal strength of the device it's attached to when it was last seen so you're playing with a lot of uh, error range here like for example when my dad lost his keys I knew it had to be on the property. That's all I got. You can look on the Find My app and it's on the property, a big blue circle surrounding uh, the area. And all I could do was open the Find My app, click on Find the Tags, and walk around with the phone in hand. Now, this did work great, though, because once I came within Bluetooth range of the AirTag, I got the little haptic feedback on the phone saying that it had picked up an AirTag. Right. The arrow didn't pop up, but I did see within 25 feet and then started moving so the numbers went down, and then the arrow popped up at about 10 feet, and then I was able to close in on the air tag, and that that worked great. And I can imagine, you know, in a mall parking lot, in a field, you know, anywhere where you might lose something where just eyeballing a location isn't going to find it, this is going to work great. Indoors, in places with a lot of uh, radio signals, I'd say it's going to be harder to pick up that thing, and that's where I found um, inside of my house... I found that I get the dot a lot more often rather than the arrow just saying, hey, the air tag is detected and with it's within five feet. And the only thing I can really do is move the iPhone around and wait for that number to go down to, to a lower number. Hmm. So it's not always perfect, but it's uh, definitely better than nothing. No, it's cool. Now, one of the features, I feel like this was just an oversight, but with the Find My app, if you have family sharing set up with your iCloud account, so you have a spouse and or kids, When you go to that Find My app, you can see all the devices associated with all of your family members. So when I go to that app, I can see my wife's phone, as well as her Apple Watch and iPad and AirPods. The same with my kids that are in the family sharing area and my parents who are there. You know, you could turn that off and stop sharing certain things. But AirTag does not have a family sharing feature, which I guess I understand why. But it's unfortunate because in the event that the one AirTag I have attached to my son's backpack, if he loses it for whatever reason, I have it attached to my Find My app. But if I'm not home or if I'm not with them, my wife has no way of pinging the AirTag via audio or doing the precise location tracking. She would have to text me to hopefully ping it remotely. And obviously I wouldn't be able to help with the precision tracking. So hopefully they will add this feature where family members, maybe you can give access individually or just by default, all family members see all air tags. But to be able to do that so my wife could track it just the same as I could and my kids, because my kids are also in my family sharing account, but they don't have iPhones yet. They have an iPad and their Find My Apps don't see the air tag either, even though one of them is on one of their backpacks. So I feel like this may be an oversight. Hopefully, WWDC, maybe we'll see this in iOS 15. Maybe we'll have to wait a year for something like this. But I really hope they bring that family sharing aspect to the AirTag tracking. I think if you think about this beyond the surface level, it gets very complex very fast. Mm -hmm. Say you're in a family and you don't have location sharing turned on for certain family members, just privacy or whatever, but then they have an AirTag that everyone can see so you can still track their location. It it, it gets into an iffy place. Maybe if they don't have location sharing turned on, maybe their AirTags won't show up in family sharing, sure. But it's just, it's definitely something Apple's going to have to solve for, or maybe it's complex enough that they'll just ignore it and hope people forget that it's a problem. Uh, I I did want to bring up too, I haven't seen anyone really talking about this. This also works with Siri. AirTag works with Siri and HomePod as well. So noun names are important. Don't name your AirTag 37 emojis uh, because, you know, you'll never find it. Uh If you tell your HomePod, the big one or the small one, where are my keys? Just that command and your AirTag is called keys. It'll say looking for your keys. Now, this is also based on the voice detection feature for HomePod. So if you and your wife are on the same HomePod network or whatever, and she says it, 
it's going to look for something labeled keys in her AirTag Find My section. So if she doesn't have one, it's going to say, I don't know what you're talking about. So it's, it doesn't solve for the family sharing issue, but you yourself could ask, where are my keys? And Siri will play an audio sound from the AirTags in the room. So if they just, you know, fell between a couch cushion or whatever, you don't necessarily have to open the Find My app and find it that way. Okay. Well, that's very cool. Now, two other things. There is a teardown of the AirTag done by the famous iFixit. So you can check that out. Amazing how much stuff is packed into this little quarter size tag from Apple. So you can check that out. And also there was a hidden debug mode. I have to imagine this is going to be removed in a future iOS update, probably pretty soon. But we'll put the article in show notes. Basically, if you tap an AirTag multiple times in the Find My app, it kind of throws it into this weird debug thing with sliders that don't really have any designation or, or names. And, you know, clearly this is something that you're not supposed to access as the regular user of the AirTag. But interesting that it was discovered. I don't know if I recommend doing this. I've seen people get stuck in this even after closing the app. Maybe like, you know, resetting your iPhone will fix it, but if, uh, you don't want to be stuck in debug mode. Yeah, don't don't do this. It's it's a cool thing, but it just shows a bunch of Greek letters. You're you're not going to be able to figure it out. It's it's fine. This episode is brought to you by ExpressVPN. Have you ever browsed in incognito mode or private mode in Safari? It's actually not as incognito as you think. And why would it be? Incognito mode, like the Chrome browser itself, is a Google product, and Google has made its fortune by tracking your movements online. Even with all the measures that Apple and others have taken, Google is developing more ways, like Flocks, to track you across your internet browsing. There's even a $5 billion class action lawsuit against Google in California, where it's accused of secretly collecting users' data. What's their defense? Incognito does not mean invisible. So how do you actually make yourself as invisible as possible online? One of the way data brokers buy and sell your data is with your IP address. Data harvesters use your IP to uniquely identify you and your location. But with ExpressVPN, your connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server and your IP address is masked. There's even been independent audits to verify ExpressVPN's technology called Trusted Server and none of your data is ever saved on ExpressVPN servers. Every time you connect to ExpressVPN, you get a random IP address shared by many other ExpressVPN customers, and it makes it harder for third parties to identify you or harvest your data. Best of all, ExpressVPN is super easy to use. No matter what device you're on, phone, laptop, or smart TV, all you have to do is tap one button for instant protection. I personally use ExpressVPN on all my devices. I have it on my iPhone, my Mac, my iPad. You can even get it on some smart TVs and Wi-Fi routers. So if you really want to go incognito and protect your privacy, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN. Visit expressvpn.com slash Apple Insider and you can get three extra months free when you sign up. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash apple insider expressvpn.com slash apple insider to sign up our thanks to expressvpn for sponsoring this episode so last week our episode uh, was not found by many people if they use the apple podcast app you had at least one listener i listened last <laughs> week so i found it now were you on the beta 14.6 i listened through overcast so i cheated oh yes okay so here's what ha happened, listeners. <laughs> I was aware that the Apple Podcast app was acting very strangely since the iOS 14.5 update. So the 14.5 update, it came out April 26th, I believe. And while there was a special episode that released that Monday, it was before the iOS update. So it didn't seem to affect it. But during the week, there were weird behaviors, such as people were reporting getting a notifications of 99 new episodes from a certain show or 60-something new episodes. There were also shows that I regularly listen to that would show up in my app of choice, which is Pocket Cast, but would not be showing up in the Apple Podcasts app maybe for days. And so I was concerned about the Apple Insider podcast that was coming out on Friday. You know, I didn't really have a way to test what would happen. You know, I didn't want to release a 30-second audio clip of me going, hey, guys, just throwing up a test. And that let that be a whole episode on the show. So I waited to see what would happen. So the episode publishes via our host at 2 a.m. Eastern time on Friday. And we do it that early, one, because we've heard from listeners in Europe and other places that 
They like the early time because they can get it and listen during their workday because their workday has already started by that point. And so it, it publishes pretty early. And usually by the time everybody wakes up on Friday, whether it's 5 or 6 a.m. here in the States, the podcast has hit all the apps and you can get it in Apple Podcasts, Overcast, and all that kind of stuff. So come Friday, April 30th, I am preparing to pre-order stuff because we have pre-orders that day of the iPad and the iMac, Apple TV and all that. But I'm also looking to see where is the Apple Insider Show? Where is the episode for that day? Now, of course, in every other app, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Castro, Google Podcasts for iOS, every podcast app has the show and it's readily available right away. But Apple Podcasts was nowhere to be found. And through a course of events, it was basically not available to many listeners of the show because 70% of you guys, of the listeners, use the default first-party Apple Podcasts app. And because it was not showing up in the Apple Podcasts app, many of you did not see the show until maybe Sunday, if not Monday. So we're talking 48 to 72-hour delay on the show being pushed through. And there was nothing I could do about it. And listeners, let me tell you, after I got my pre-orders in, all last Friday, I was working to figure out what could I do to get this episode to you guys. And unfortunately, there was not much. I submitted multiple tickets through the Apple Podcasts, Podcast Connect thing, which is new and has been buggy since that launched at the April 20 event. I even called Apple support listeners. I called Apple support multiple times. And I won't go into great detail there, but let me just say, calling the regular support lines, you know, a lot of the staff are not sure where to point people with a problem like, hey, I make a podcast and listeners aren't getting it in your app. Who can I talk to? There's not much knowledge there. One Apple support person, again, they, they were all very helpful. One Apple support person gave me the number to developer support. And that number leads you to an automated voicemail that says, if you're a developer, go to this website and submit a ticket and then just hangs up on you. That's, that's exactly what that website does. So I was like, well, that's, not, that's no help. And then another support person sent me some like old school iTunes store links, which really didn't apply. So I had no help there. I couldn't do anything. I, and then I went to Twitter. And so if you follow me on Twitter, at Stephen Robles, you probably saw a flurry of tweets all weekend. <laughs> I apologize in advance, but I was literally doing everything I could to get this episode out because there was really nothing I could do. There's no refresh feed command anymore in the Apple Podcasts dashboard, and there's no magic button to press to say, make this go. And eventually, someone from Apple actually on Twitter DM'd me and said, we're aware of the issue and we're working around the clock. That gives me some solace to know that Apple knows this is a problem and is working to fix it. And again, looking at the metrics for the episode, we have a lot of one-day downloads, meaning a majority of our listeners download and listen to it on Friday, if not Saturday. They download it on Friday when it comes out though, probably because the podcast app automatically downloads. Encourage you to do that. But it was very, very clear that for the first three days, Apple Podcasts, which is usually 70% of our listeners, it was actually Overcast that a majority of the listeners could listen to it. And so for those first three days, Overcast was like 60% of our listens. And once it hit Apple Podcasts between Sunday and Monday, then all the Apple Podcast users got the episode and could listen. And someone might be asking, you know, like, what's the big deal? Why is it so important that it comes out right away? As you probably know, we have amazing sponsors that sponsor our episodes. We have sponsors every week. We have a great ad agency we work with, and those sponsors pay for a spot on a particular episode. A lot of them pay for multiple spots across multiple episodes, and it is based on a weekly release schedule. And so when an episode is not delivered to a vast majority of those listeners, that causes an issue. One, it causes an issue because listeners are like, where's the episode at? You know, I'm subscribed to this thing. Why are you slacking? And we had very kind listeners. Everybody was very understanding. And so I know none of you responded like that, but there is that aspect of it. And then it's the aspect of sponsors have paid for a spot on this episode and it's not being delivered to listeners. And that's an issue. So from what I gather, something was corrected, hopefully. And it seems like this past week, podcasts are now being delivered on a better schedule. I have a couple other shows that were released Sunday, Monday, and those episodes showed up in the Apple Podcasts app around the same time as other apps like Overcast and such. But if you are not seeing the episodes, again, you could try third-party apps, but because so many of you listen in Apple Podcasts by default, and we're trying 
And we are most likely trying the Apple Podcast subscriptions service that Apple announced at their April 20th event. We want you to be able to listen in Apple Podcasts and get the episode quickly, at least when everybody else gets it. So hopefully Apple is working on this. And even apart from episode delivery, I wrote an article, I'll put the article in show notes, but there's actually a lot of other things still broken about the Apple Podcasts app. One of them being show note links, which is a big deal. You know, we put links to all the articles we talk about and places to get a hold of us, our sponsor links. In the Apple Podcast app right now, if you do show notes like every app does using HTML, you can't click anything. Nothing is made a link. And I went in and for the last episode, the only way you can make it clickable is if you put the full link, HTTPS colon slash slash, you just put the full link instead of the title and then it's clickable. And that's a bug. Like it shouldn't be that way. You know, it actually worked before iOS 14.5. And also overall app navigation, you know, Apple said they redesigned the app and it's better. And I don't think that to be true. There's like multiple up next and new show areas that show different things. I put that in the article. And there's no easy way to get to the show notes from the now playing screen. You used to be able to scroll down and see the chapters and then the episode show notes right underneath it and expand it. And that is not the case. The show notes are not there. You have to tap on the scrolling episode title, which is not intuitive and not obvious, or you have to go to the show page and then click an episode and then you see the show notes. So overall, the Apple Podcast app is rather broken at the moment. I encourage you to try out a third party. If you've never done that yet, you got Overcast, Pocket Casts, Castro, there's great apps out there. And I actually reached out to those developers and Marco Arment was very kind. I actually had an email chain with him. He kind of explained how podcast apps work and the change that Apple has made since iOS 14.5 that may have caused that bug. And so that's in the article. I also talked to the developers at Pocket Casts and Castro. They were all very kind to interact with me and kind of explain how their systems worked. And there's a lot of technical stuff in there. Maybe I'd love to do a bonus episode or an interview with some of these guys to go through all those details, but check out the article if you have any thoughts. But I don't know, Wes, you got any thoughts on all that? Well, it's just crazy to think that Apple has been kind of the home, the arbiter of podcasts for years. And suddenly they can just flip a switch and break a lot of people's livelihoods overnight. Yeah, it, it all gets fixed in a few days. But like you said, some of these things can have lasting effects. Advertisers can get spooked and it's it's not great. It's not, it's not a great look. And if Apple on the day that they say they're going to make a better push for podcasting and introduce all these premium features and compete in the market and then suddenly their podcast app breaks and everyone's podcast can no longer be seen by their listeners then what's happening and sure they're working around the clock to fix it but it's just another one of these weird issues where apple remains silent in the background trying to fix a big problem and the rest of us are scrambling hoping that someone may pay attention to us long enough to fix it it just it doesn't seem smart to me and it it goes back to the whole uh, issue of there's only 10 people working at apple and they can only allocate so many of those people to each project at, at one time if all 10 employees are working on air tags today they can't look at the podcast app and it's wild to me that this happens in a trillion dollar company on a regular basis yeah. So again, I, I'm encouraged. Thank you uh, to the Apple people that helped me on Apple support and reached out on Twitter. You know, I know you guys are working on it, but a lot of people use your app in case you didn't know. You probably know that, <laughs> but just to reiterate, a lot of people use your app. And also thanks to Marco Arment and the makers of Castro and Pocket Cast. I'd really love to dive super deep in podcast stuff. We don't have time for that today. But listeners, if you'd love to nerd out about RSS feeds and servers and crawling feeds and such, uh, let me know, because I would uh, love to geek out about that sometime. So now we get into policies, tracking, and Epic v. Apple. <laughs> First, I wanted to touch on some app tracking transparencies. So when iOS 14.5 came out, it requires apps to do the notification where users can say, ask app not to track or not, Facebook being the loudest opponent of this policy. But one thing I want to mention is Signal, which is the secure messaging app cross-platform they did an incredible, listeners, let me tell you, this is a genius move by Signal. They did a run of ads on Facebook. They were short-lived because Facebook banned them shortly after. But they did these ads that were basically solid color blue with white text. And what they did was they used the granular tracking information that Facebook has and makes available to advertisers and put them in the text of these ads so that when people saw these ads, they saw their information being used by Facebook to target them. For instance, one of the ads was, 
It just says this. It's just text on a blue background. This was Signal doing these ads in Facebook and Instagram. And it says, you got this ad because you're a GP with a master's in art history, also divorced. Your location is in London. Your online activity shows you've been getting into boxing and you're probably getting there on your new motorcycle. And I have to tell you, if you are a user of Instagram or Facebook and you see an ad like this that is so accurate to your life, your location, your interests, your education, topics you might be interested in, that would surely creep somebody out. And it's just really surfacing what these social media and ad companies know about users. And Facebook obviously was like, no, you can't do this and ban them. And so you can't find the ads on the platforms anymore, but I'll put a link to Signal's blog and show notes where it has what the ads were. But I thought this was a very interesting move. What'd you think, Wes? This is uh, really cool, and I mean, uh, it's annoying that Facebook banned them. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess they have some kind of practice against exposing algorithm, whatever, but it's still, it's it's kind of funny that they had to ban them to get the ads off the, the platform. Yeah. I've, I've been kind of poking around this, and uh, I, I can't remember who pointed it out, maybe Marco Arment or, or Steve Trouton-Smith on Twitter, one of those uh, types, asking the question of, how did this work? Because it's kind of difficult to imagine that they just had a uh, word generator attached to a bunch of uh, uh, requirements that could just throw up customized ads per person and like how quickly that could be done. Uh, if you're scrolling uh, Instagram before you get to an ad, Apple actually describes this in their uh, their privacy outlines on their website. If you're approaching a place where there's an ad going to pop up on a website, Facebook, Instagram, wherever, the moment that it's about to appear the milliseconds there's a bidding war between a bunch of ad agencies trying to place the ad and if these guys are on here trying to show these very personalized ads and generating an image on the spot it just it seems like too much all at once so uh, sorry to take the magic away from it a little bit but it seems that they've had a you know a bunch of images prepped so oh yeah if you met certain things it would show an ad to you and maybe it wouldn't be exactly right but it would get creepily close so uh, yeah. the effect is still there and wow i mean it, it's it's really cool and i just uh i i wish it could have stayed up a little longer or brought some awareness but uh, it's kind of a failed ploy yeah and like you're saying yeah surely these were images pre-made with the text highlighted manually and I've done Facebook ads and Instagram ads in the past for different companies. I did it for a travel company in the past. And you can target like people who are interested in cruising. You could just choose that as an interest when you're making a Facebook ad. And so I, I could see how, you know, you make a campaign and this would have been like multiple campaigns. Basically, each ad would have to been a separate targeted audience. But I could have targeted, you know, people who live in Florida interested in cruising who are married and a couple other designations. And it is very easy to make the ad, at least, you know, because I have that experience on the backside. It's one of the reasons why I, I despise Facebook on a, like, just <laughs> prime le primal level. They've gotten away with so much scummy nonsense that uh, there are words I can't say on this podcast, but it's, it's just crazy to me that this company can literally discriminate against, like, groups of people based on ad placement. Like, you can actually target, I want to target people in their 40s that are that uh, you know, people of color in their 40s, or I don't want this ad to be seen by LGBTQ communities. And those are things that have been discovered that at, uh, Facebook targeting has been able to do. Maybe they've removed some of it over time. I haven't really looked into it lately, but it's, it's happened before. And this company's able to do it based on this information they have on us. And it's, it's just sick. I, I, I don't like it. But yeah, I, I wish there was more transparency on this stuff. And, you know, honestly, I, we'll probably get into it later. But like this app tracking transparency stuff with Facebook has uh, brought up a lot of questions about the company. And I hope people keep asking them. This episode is brought to you by Upstart. Do you dread looking at your credit card statement every month? Listen, we don't blame you. Paying off debt, it can feel like an uphill battle. Whether it's high interest rates or you just can't make more than the minimum monthly payment, it feels like you're in an endless cycle of debt. Well, Upstart is a fast and easy way to pay off your debt with a personal loan all online. Whether that's paying off credit cards, consolidating high interest debt, or maybe funding personal expenses, over half a million people have used Upstart to get a simple, fixed monthly payment. And unlike other lenders, Upstart looks at more than just your credit score, like your income and employment history. That means they can offer smarter rates with trusted partners. Listen, their website is super easy to use and beautifully designed, might I add, and it's only a five-minute online rate check. You go to their website and you can see your rate upfront for loans between $1,000 to $50,000. 
and you can receive funds as fast as one business day after accepting your loan. So find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash Apple Insider. Don't forget to use that URL so they know Apple Insider sent you at upstart.com slash Apple Insider. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit, income, and certain other information provided in your loan application. So go to upstart.com slash Apple Insider to apply today. Our thanks to Upstart for sponsoring this episode. And so last thing before we get to Epic v. Apple, you had put in here talking about app tracking transparency again and Facebook sign-in. Well, uh, this this was funny. It kind of came up. Um, my nephew, he's 12, has an iPhone on a family plan. He's, he's a child account and um, he's on iOS 14.5 and he just downloaded Clash of Clans and wanted to sign in with an account he had previously had on an Android phone. He couldn't do it because it. the notice I have in our notes is what you see if you're an adult and try to get on there because it's their note explaining what app tracking transparency is and why you should enable it. Right. But he didn't even see that. He just saw Facebook disabled due to your privacy settings. And because he's under 13, he actually can't even turn on tracking to enable this feature. So he was unable to log into Clash of Clans mm. to his account to continue his save data uh, due to app tracking transparency. And too bad for him. There's a way around that. He figured it out. But funny to me that this this already has ramifications we didn't even think about because I know like him at a, a young age like he, he maybe seven years old convinced his mom to make him a facebook account just so he could have these sign-in platforms and stuff and this happens all the time with these young kids that shouldn't even have these social media accounts and they hook them in early and facebook knows this happens they absolutely know this happens they hook these kids in early they already have accounts so by the time they're old enough to actually use them they're already there and they're already addicted and this is just another way of saying nope if you're an iphone user if you're a child there's not even any reason to have a facebook account because you can't use it anyway and uh, I just thought that was cool. <laughs> yeah, that's super interesting. Yeah, I'll put the chapter art as that, <laughs> the notice that comes up in Clash of Clans. Yeah, strange. There's there's two different methods here because there's sign-in with Facebook, like sign-in with Google, sign-in with Apple. Right. That's a different API that exists that still works with tracking turned off. But what Clash of Clans is doing and what a lot of apps seem to do is they are literally using a token sent from um, a Safari login. So the tracking has a cover the distance from Safari back to the game so that uh, Facebook's tracking you across that system to see your login and verify it and bring your save data over. And uh, app tracking transparency kills that. Gotcha. All right. Well, Wes, we have to touch on the big Epic Games v. Apple court case. The court case began Monday, May 3rd. This is all about how Fortnite was booted out of the App Store because Epic Games, who makes Fortnite, tried allowing their digital V-Bucks purchases to go through their payment system instead of Apple's inside the iOS app. That is against Apple's App Store guidelines. And so they booted them out of the App Store. And so that's what this is all about. This is App Store policy. Does Apple have some kind of monopoly or too much control over the App Store? And so, you know, there's a lot of information about the court case. We have a lot of articles that have gone up all week, and this is going to be going on for a little while. So I'll put links to all those articles if you'd like to read about what's happening. A couple of bullet points that I thought were interesting. You know, the most interesting tidbits come from either like email communications or testimonies from people, uh, stuff that's happened in the past, you know, that we learn about now. For instance, in 2011, so 10 years ago, just about a year or two after the App Store launched, Phil Schiller had a conversation with Eddie Q talking about, you know, should we consider a different split? Where listeners, if you don't know, Historically, up until recently, the split has been Apple gets 30% of all revenue of app sales, in-app purchases and all that, and then the developer gets 70%. Recently, last year, namely, it changed to a 15% cut goes to Apple if you make less than a million dollars a year as a developer. So that split did change, but Apple was already talking about it 10 years ago. And so that was brought up by the Epic Games side to talk about, you know, Apple's been talking about this for a while, all that kind of stuff. I thought it was interesting that Epic Games CEO Tim Sweeney would have been like, hey, if Apple would have given us a special deal like 
Hulu or Amazon Prime, like we would have taken it and shut up about it. Yeah, I just I just wanted to to examine that for a second because that's that's insane. Uh, <laughs> the the entire basis of this, the uh, 1984 video, all of this has yeah. been Epic standing up on a stage and saying we care about developers. We <laughs> want developers to have money. We want separate income sources. We want alternate app stores. Developers, developers, developers. In the in the words of uh, Steve Ballmer, yes. Anyway, we're all about the developers and then, but we don't really care about them if we get more money without having to do any of this. And it's just, it's so scummy and it it throws their whole argument out the window. I haven't been listening to this because if you do listen to this court case, it sounds like a tin can through a string. (laughs) It's like a phone call, right? Like a legit, you have to call in. You literally have to call a phone number and then it's, it's like... You know how you uh, listen to the Apple earnings calls and Apple Music right. radio is playing? It's what yeah. that sounds like. It, it, a distant, tinny, yeah, sounds yeah. something like music, but you can't actually understand it. But this whole thing, I just, I, I've stayed far away from it because we have enough coverage. And if I need to write an article, I can research it. But anyway, th- this, it's been going on for a few days. And ev- everything I've seen about it, everything I've, I've seen written about it has basically said Epic keeps shooting themselves in the foot. They don't seem prepared. They don't have a real argument and the judge is just tired of right. hearing this. And yeah, it's, it's just a crazy thing all the way around. And there's been a couple of times where the judge has sided with Apple, either in objections or in making points. Some of those things, namely Apple argued that the 30% commission on app and in-app purchases is an industry standard and brought up companies like Sony, Nintendo, obviously another video game maker, Google and Samsung. Good argument. And again, you know, Apple, it's not their first legal battle ever. You know, they kind of know what they're doing. So they have some good arguments here, but talked about that commission. They also argued that between March, 2018 and July, 2020 of last year, that only 7% of the revenue from Fortnite came from the iOS app. So as hard as Epic is fighting for this in-app payment system through Apple's platform, it's a very small percentage of their revenue. Again, so curious that they're making this big a deal about it. I've seen people point this out and I think it's smart. Uh, the reason why Epic is targeting Apple on this stage is because they appear to be weakened by bringing back the whole, uh, Hey, debacle. Yes. They, they, they were already pinned down by that, uh, before WWDC in 2020. And this came, you know, shortly after that, it was just one after the other salvo after salvo. And I think Epic just saw a weak moment in Apple and thinking we can, we can do this now and target them because again, like if this was brought before Sony or Nintendo or Google or anyone else, uh, any, this argument, it would be dismissed very quickly because the market share there is, is shows there isn't a monopoly stake. And Epic thinks they have some sort of winning chance with Apple when, you know, examining the numbers, they, they really don't have a dog in the race. Two other points I thought was interesting. Apple mentioned cross-wallet gaming, meaning, and this is the same with other digital purchases, if Epic Games were to give users the ability to buy V-Bucks, which is the in-app currency of Fortnite, they could buy it on Epic's website, which someone could go to in Safari on iOS. There's no block there. Purchase the V-Bucks in Safari. They would immediately be usable inside the game. And Epic is making the argument, you know, that's restricting a people's ability to buy it quickly, <laughs> to which I think the judge brought up like, so you're basically encouraging impulse purchases for people to spend a bunch of money on digital goods that don't mean anything. <laughs> it's kind of one of those moments where like, huh, I guess they are. They're saying people need to be able to impulse buy things that don't amount to any real world value and we want them to spend a lot of money doing it. You know, it's kind of this, uh, again, Epic kind of caught in a bad position there. So that's available to you. Just like, like with Amazon Kindle books, you've always been able to buy a Kindle book or an Audible audiobook in the web browser on iOS and immediately listen to it in the Audible app or read it in the Kindle app. Not a seamless experience, but Apple has never blocked people from doing that in Safari. And then finally, there was an interesting uh, list of things about Microsoft and Xbox. One of the points of information that people have believed for a long time, and it was interesting for it to come up, was that Microsoft admitted it has never earned a profit on the sale of Xbox consoles. Every console is sold at a loss to Microsoft because they understand the profit is made on games and further purchases down the road, and that money will be recouped and be profitable later. So interesting to see blatant uh, evidence here that video game consoles are sold at a loss. And then I will put a tweet thread. This is by Addie Robertson, and she has a bunch of tweets from these 
this Microsoft versus Xbox uh, line of questioning is pretty interesting. Microsoft also admitted that if it didn't take 30% commission from its developers, that Microsoft wouldn't make any money off the Xbox. But go ahead. I want to comment on a couple of these things. Yeah. Starting with Xbox, just if you've had your nose in the gaming industry at all in the last 10 years, you know that they don't make any money on these consoles. When Sony tried to make money on these consoles, it was $600 for a PlayStation 3. It was miserable. No one was buying it. That's Sony didn't take over the market that generation until they shifted the PS3 down to a much lower price. And then they immediately overtook Xbox sales because of it. They were able to subsidize that cost through the software. And it's it's always been an industry staple. And I think it's kind of interesting that it's being brought up here because Apple makes profits on their hardware and their software at this point. And uh, I don't see how it really helps an argument. Do you know the um, reason why this was brought up specifically? I think Apple is using it as arguments to say, this is how you know, video game platforms function. Okay. You know, they, that Apple is not the only one doing this. It is a little weird to me that Apple would bring this in because uh doesn't exactly help their argument if they're making a profit off of the hardware and the software. Right. I, I, will, I will point that out. Right. Uh, it was brought up, pretty good point, that when Netflix was considering removing it, the ability sub- to subscribe from Apple's in-app purchase system, Apple was going out of their way to beg Netflix to stay, <laughs> right. to essentially here's all these deals we're going to do. We could do video content deals, uh, give you better advertising or prominent placement in the app store and such, basically doing everything it could to convince Netflix to a keep its in-app purchase in the app store. And then later include its content and the Apple TV platform, Right. neither of which occurred. Apple lost both battles. Right. Apple has made a lot of mistakes here and they've definitely shown preferential treatment and done things that they shouldn't have and this this trial is uncovering a lot of the things that we just don't hear about because uh, it's it's kept pretty well hidden away but apple is no saint here either and the fact that they could try to offer netflix special treatment just to give them keep money flowing in from the company uh you know that the recent earnings call had that 660 million subscribers or whatever. Apple used to count Netflix subscriptions as a part of that because of the in-app purchase and uh, they can't do that anymore. So yeah. And it is talking about favoritism, you know, stuff came out about Amazon prime last year during the whole app store antitrust committee meetings. But in some of the notes in the court case now was saying Apple was considering showing off like Netflix displays in Apple stores to kind of push their content and again, that's one of those things where if you're an app developer or soon-to-be podcast creator who's going to be giving Apple 30% of revenue from subscriptions in Apple Podcasts, it's unfortunate to see. I mean, obviously, these are huge companies. So yeah, Apple might bend over backwards to try and reach them. But when rules do change strictly because of a company's size and how much money they might bring Apple, it does feel a little greasy and it doesn't feel great. I'll, I'll be the cynical person here and just say, okay, of course they're going to give Netflix special deals. Uh, yeah. It's it's going to earn Apple a lot of money. It's going to bring in customers. There's there's a lot of reasons for Apple to do this, but I think the issue is, is they're not transparent about it. And Apple's all about transparency everywhere except for how they do business. And I think that uh, we've mentioned it before on the podcast, it would really behoove Apple to just come out with a new policy surrounding how they handle certain situations where, you know, here's your under $1 million uh, earnings per year, guys. Here's your middleweight guys. And then there's the guidelines of maybe you'll be a multi-billion dollar company and we can give you special uh, things this way. If they were just 10% more transparent about it, I don't think anyone would have a single complaint. I mean, it's obvious business-wise that they would do this, but it's just a little greasy seeing it this way. Well, listeners, you can continue to follow the Epic Games v. Apple case on appleinsider.com. You can check all the articles and show notes as well. All right, well, let's hit a lightning round real quick because we had some listeners send in questions. So Simon emailed me asking, and this has been talked around in a lot of different circles, but do we think that because the M1 is now in the iPad Pro, would Apple bring macOS to the iPad Pro or run some kind of boot camp thing to run macOS and iPadOS? And I'll just safely say... I do not think this will come at WWDC this year. And Apple still claims publicly in statements that they are not going to bring macOS to the iPad. And so I'm going to say, I'm going to go out on a limb here, at least in the next three years, I don't think this is going to happen. And maybe even beyond that, I don't think there's a good chance of it happening. What do you think, Wes? Um, I'm I'm adding a GIF to our <laughs> uh, show notes to just explain my thoughts on the situation. Okay. 
I got the GIF. Sorry. It's, it's no, the no yeah, from the keynote. Yeah, it's great. No, they're not going to put Mac OS on iPad. I mean, please, Apple, prove me wrong. I would hate it. I don't want it. I do not want Mac OS on iPad. I'm sorry. It is not a Mac. Yeah. There's a reason why iPad OS exists. And I've explained this on Twitter in a big thread of iPad is an expression of the Mac, right? It is not a Mac. It, it's not going to run Mac OS. You use a Mac to develop for it. And maybe in the future, an iPad could develop for itself, but it's just, it's not the same platform. And even if people are saying developer boot modes and you know, stuff like that, just no, it's it's not something I want. And as soon as Apple crosses that line, who knows where we're going to end up? Yeah. We don't need another Mac platform. Mm. This, is, this is the touch-based tablet that you can turn into different devices at will kind of thing. I want iPadOS to be better, and I'm really hoping we see some kind of changes at WWDC that shows Apple's commitment to it. Yeah, same. All right, this question came from Twitter. Fozzie Bear is the Twitter user. He's asking, people keep talking about U1 chips and how they're not going to certain Apple devices, namely the new Siri remote that's coming with the new Apple TV+. And he was asking, could this be because of the you know global chip shortage? Is that the reason? And I answer back on Twitter, you know, with all the U1 chips going into the AirTags and those being readily available, I don't know if it's a chip shortage issue with the U1 chip specifically. I don't know if, you know, we have to wait till we get the new Apple TV 4K and Siri remote in hand to see if there's some kind of find feature, maybe via Bluetooth. But I do wish the U1 chip would be in more things. I don't know if it's a chip shortage or just Apple deciding it's not necessary. Maybe it's a cost thing, although AirTags are not expensive. so. I don't know. What do you think, Wes? It's a mixture of all of it, I think. Part of it, sure, is uh, it, car vehicles are t- stealing the ultra-wideband market, but it, it's mostly going to be because Apple is trying to save space, save money. Uh, the U1 chips are going in the AirTags. They're going in other devices. We got one in the, the HomePod Mini. So it's not necessarily this shortage uh, because, again, Apple will just delay release of, of things or or have a longer release timeline if if products uh if, if chipsets aren't widely available but you and chips i, th- I think are, are kind of a, more of a special device kind of thing like it brings functionality to the homepod mini it, it brings functionality to the air tags that otherwise wouldn't be there but i mean yes it would make sense and the um apple remote but also i there i think there would be battery life concerns i think that's the same kinds of things can be solved with Bluetooth, like you said, or or, or uh, maybe it can make a sound. Those those little capacitor speaker things that can make chirping noises—they're not very big and they don't use much power. If that remote can chirp, you're you don't need a U1 chip to find it in a couch cushion. Right. You're not going to be carrying out it out into a field uh, and and losing it out there. So I think Apple's just like you said, making a very conscious decision about what gets what because like the iPad why would the iPad need a U1 chip you're not going to tap it to a home pod and you don't need precision finding to find a, a 13 inch iPad and it has LTE so you're not going to necessarily lose it with that option and again the Wi-Fi chip by itself is still a findable thing so yeah yeah I just think it's just it's, it's just conscious per product kind of thing if it would help with airdrop I'd be for the U1 but that's my only argument there yeah I, I, I personally don't see the need to have it and everything um, I think there should be find my integration and everything i mentioned it before i would love find my for everything just have it in everything the u1 chip it's not really part of it i don't think yeah. you need it and everything all right and our last question this is from tony on twitter he's asking will the apple tv ever get an apple pro gaming controller and for this apple has added the ability in the software to use a ps5 controller or some previous PlayStation controllers and Xbox controllers with the Apple TV and your iPad. So I feel pretty confident in saying Apple is not going to develop a gaming controller. They're going to leave that to third parties or where you can just buy a PS5 controller and use that with your Apple TV. You don't need the system. You could just buy the controller. And that's like from a gaming console that a lot of people love. So I don't think Apple is going to make a first party gaming controller. What do you think? I don't think they have any reason to, because uh, this is this is a question of market needs. Think about uh, Apple makes a lot of mass market consumer devices, and they make a few things that are very specific to the person, like a $6,000 monitor. But this isn't that game controller is supposed to be a mass market device. They're not going to make something that seven people are going to buy. You know, I mean, obviously someone like Steven or, or I would, would immediately go out and buy one just cause you know, we like Apple stuff, but <laughs> what for most people it's going to be, what is the most cost effective thing to do? Yeah. A lot of people are already going to have a PlayStation four or PS five old, especially old Xbox controllers just laying in their house. 
Apple's reduced a lot of the friction in pairing these controllers. Any controller that you add to iOS or, or iPadOS now, you can map every single button in settings. It doesn't matter what kind of controller it is. So hmm. I don't know what Apple could do different with a controller that would make it necessary to buy. And something like that from Apple would cost 60 to to $100. And yeah. I, I just don't see parents being the primary buyers of these things. I don't see parents spending that kind of money when they can get a $40 Xbox controller. Yeah, for sure. All right. Thanks for joining us, listeners. We'd love to hear from you. You can tweet at Wes or myself. Our Twitter handles are in the show notes. You can also email me there. Let us know what you thought about AirTags or what you think about them, what you pre-ordered, what you're looking forward to most from all the Apple products, or maybe WWDC as we head up to that event just a month away. If you haven't yet, we would greatly appreciate a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. There's some not five-star ratings in there. And so if you have a five-star rating, we would love that to be in there and it would really help the show. Don't forget, you can get an ad-free version of the show and just support the show, get some extra bonuses at patreon.com slash Apple Insider. And don't forget to check out the other shows on Apple Insider. HomeKit Insider comes out every Monday talking about all the smart home and HomeKit devices. And Apple Insider Daily comes out every day. The top Apple headlines in just a few minutes. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.